pot of gold. Hippity hop, I'm a kangaroo. I hop out it and I made you. I'm an elephant. I got junk in the trunk. I'm, I'm a clam. I'm a wolf. Ow. So, Amelia, we're having a tea party, huh? There's not much left. I drink um, to all your gone, all your tea gone, but I'll we'll get you some more. Okay. Welcome to another episode of Ramble by the River. We're uh, recording this intro during a tea party. Here you go, my man. Yeah, you spilled your tea. Well, I was trying to keep you from falling down. Recording is boring, so you can't do it. I don't think it's boring. I think it's fun. But it's boring. Well, I thought we were having a tea party. Oh, we are. Well, then what's boring about that? Oh, it's not boring. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Let's play tea party. Let's do it. Because that is boring. Recording. So don't do podcasting because it's boring. Fine. This kid. Yeah. Uh, but don't say stuff. Don't bring this up here. Okay, you can bring it up. But play it down here. I know you can come down here. All right, well, let me just talk to the audience for a second. <laughs> just give me like two minutes. Yeah, I can climb from this. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Right on. Okay, guys, I got to make this quick. Basically, what I wanted to say today before this episode starts is that hanging out with Amelia and doing anything. Or hanging out with Grandpa. No, that's not relevant to what I'm saying. (laughs) But. (laughs) When I when I hang out with my daughters or my son, I feel that climate change is a bigger deal. Then when I don't. Why did Grandpa not come on to your podcast? I really think it's important that we think about our kids and about our kids' kids and all those kids' kids' kids. Why did Grandpa not come to your podcast? Give it a rest, Mills. How? So, anyway. Here you go, ma'am. I'm a sir, not a ma'am. Here you go, sir. Mmm, that's delicious tea. You gotta drink it for real life. Mmm. Like there's water. Well, the tea looks like it's all gone. I drink some. I drink all of it, so I'm gonna get you some more. Okay, sounds good. Anyway, so my interview today is with the delightful Martha Williams. Martha was a teacher at Ocean Beach Elementary School when I was a student there. So I remembered her from that. Her husband at the time, now her ex-husband, was a PE teacher and a coach there. So I knew both of them. And I also, her son Jordan was just a class ahead of me in school. So I knew of the Williamses for a long time. Martha is a very interesting person. She is not allowing herself to get stagnant. She just right straight out of retirement from teaching, went into this new world of climate activism. And she's trying to make a difference. 
and trying to leave a better place for you know her children and her children's children. It's it's really cool and it's pretty inspiring. And I hope you guys like this interview. Everything going okay down there? Um, Miss, how's that tea coming? Good. Oh, you took your shirt off. Yeah. It's okay. They. I didn't know this was that kind of place. Here you go, ma'am. I'm a sir. Oh. <laughs> no, I like calling you ma'am. Okay, that's fine then. I'll take it. Okay. Here you go, baby. Oh, well, now I'm a baby? Yeah. And you're a, a topless waitress? No, oh, mama. Force feeding me tea? I'm mama. Oh, now you're a mama and I'm a baby? Yeah. Well, we just switched games in the middle? Well, then uh, what, what am I doing with the tea? You have to drink it. Okay. Actually, here you go, ma'am. Back to being a ma'am now. Well, that's okay. That was delicious. Anyway, got to get back to work. I need to get you some more tea. All right, be careful. Anyway, this is a pretty good interview. It's mostly about climate change. So I'll tell you that up front. It is the large majority of it's about climate change. And... <clears throat> the things surrounding that issue, but we also meander into a lot of stuff about Martha's history and, you know, her time as an educator, and she's got really valuable insights on a lot of other things. So it's it's a good podcast. I hope you enjoy it. And I wanted to get on here and just talk. She's just having a blast down there. Okay, I got to hurry. I wanted to get on here and just quickly say the kids are the reason that I care about climate change. It's always scared the shit out of me. And, oh, sorry about the language. It's always scared me a lot and I don't like to think about it and it's a problem that's so huge and has so many variables that it just seems unsolvable to me. so it's hard for me to think about it and until I had kids I just didn't and now it seems important and like we have to so get back on track I just wanted to say hey just want to reach out and say hey guys I hear water spilling Amelia is everything okay down there no oh fuck. what happened I just spilled okay I'll be I'll be right there. All right, guys. There's a flood going on right now. Sea level waters are rising. The fires and uh, there's lots of problems. Save the world. I gotta go. I love you guys. Enjoy the episode. It's okay, girl. That's what it's all about. I could really use a change of scenery. Yeah. Everybody's smoking all the greenery. Yeah. Close the match because they were handed down to me. But I'm still fly. I'm still fly. I know. I'm still fly, I'm still fly, let's go It could all be worse, I could be a hater like you It could all be worse to make the man, but that poison's gonna chew you to another episode of Ramble by the River. I'm your host, Jeff Nesbitt, and I am joined today by Martha Williams. How's it going, Martha? It's great. Good to be here, Jeff. Her hometown, Los Angeles, California. 
and correct me if I'm wrong, she is team coordinator at Reusable Bag Project, a leader at Climate Reality, Denver, Colorado. I was curious about what that one was. Already. She has her master's in special education from USC, worked at the Coastal Alliance for Youth, and is a former teacher at Ocean Beach School District for 20 years. With Ocean Beach School District, 28 years, and LA, 12. So I taught 40 years. Put in your time. I did. So you must have retired 2015 or 16? Exactly, 2015. And you went right into something new. People ask you the question when you get towards retirement and actually when you do it, what are you going to do? And all I said to them was, I'm just going to breathe for the first year because there's a million things to do. And I did that. I did take one trip to Alaska that fall, but I really didn't change any major things except not having to get up and go full-time to work every day. But then life hit 2017, and that was my year when I wrote my uh, Christmas letter that year. I thought, this is a two-page Christmas letter because I had gotten so busy doing things. And most of those is what what I want to talk about today with you, mostly, is just my journey into working with Mother Earth and climate and being an activist on that level locally. And then, of course, I believe we're all connected. So it's a global journey also. Absolutely. That's great. I have some questions for you about that, too, and some topics I'd like to get into also. Why don't you just start at the beginning, right at how you got involved? start at the beginning. Really, the beginning goes way before 2015, 16, or 17. I was, like you said, an L.A. girl, but truly, I was a suburban L.A. girl in the San Fernando Valley. And so, you know, 70, 80 degree weather, so I'm outside all the time. People are here too, but I mean in a different way as a little girl, riding my bike all day and being out in the summer and doing all that kind of stuff. And then I got into scouts which was a way to start my kind of my journey towards service also and people and kids and running brownie camps in high school. And gee, I was a Mariner Scout, which meant I got to sail on schooners, on catamarans, Jim Arness's catamaran. So it had a higher head room because he was six foot six. Oh, wow. And the schooner was 101 feet. And we would, gee, go, 16-year-old girls, we would go over to Avalon, 16 of us with the captain of the ship. So What's Avalon? Avalon is in Catalina, just off the of L.A. island? Yes. It's a beautiful island. Avalon is just the main hub of that place. So we'd anchor off and swim ashore. It's just kind of an idyllic lifestyle for a high like school it. kid. And then going to high school, too. So anyway, that's how my journey began with being of service, I think. And I always wanted to be a teacher since I was five. That was So you spent lots of time outdoors as a kid. Yep, I did. Developed a love of nature. I did. And coming up to the Pacific Northwest, just on family vacations, up to Crescent Lake, north in Washington and stuff, not coming to the Long Beach Peninsula, I fell in love just within my own soul, not because I'd had a lot of foot experience with being here. And so, of course, my brother beat me to it and got a job in the Portland area. And then my parents ran away from home in L.A. And when they retired and they ended up in Surfside. How they end up? How they pick Surfside? Because the Oregon coast is too expensive. Oh, okay. And they were coming up from Southern California. Yes, in their Winnebago. 
And so they just went through Oregon and obviously got here and then went through Long Beach all the way up to Surfside. So in 1978, I was on my summer break from teaching and I decided I'm going to go see where my parents ran away to. So I came up here and yes, no lie, there were three positions open in the Ocean Beach School District. I had a job, but I was 28, you know, and much much less fear in me at that age than now. And so I applied. And at my second interview, I got here. So I was then a special ed teacher in Ocean Beach School District. Go figure. Was special ed your focus for a specific reason? Was it your passion or you just that was the available job? I know your master's was in special ed. That's a really good question. I just wanted to teach elementary school, which I'd done for six years before I came up here. I got my master's in special ed because when I looked at the curriculum of regular ed and special ed, it interested me more. It's I got an MS in special ed, so it's more science-based, meaning psychology and even some medical stuff and how that affects learners and allergies and food. And so even back in the day, that was more interesting to me than just doing units and study and stuff. So I never really thought of teaching special ed, but the position up here was open for special ed and uh, those of you that know education, if you're a special ed teacher, you can probably get a job just about anywhere you apply. So it was my in anytime I really needed a job. And I didn't need a job, but I did get into special ed. They trusted me here in 1978. It was my first special ed position. Tom Ackerlin hired me. Oh, I remember Tom Ackerlin. So it was a good, it was a good gig. I did it for 13 years. Within that time, I moved back to the Santa Barbara area, and I did junior high school special ed. So that was super fun, because classes were 3 to 10. So it was really easy, and it was just like a regular middle school day, periods. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't, you didn't have to combine all these kinds of things like you do in elementary ed. That so was you good. would just teach the same thing for different Well, sessions? you did, yes. You did reading, writing, and math, and then you did reading, writing, and math with a different group of kids. But I got to help the science teachers figure out how to work with these kids when they were in the class and stuff because they didn't really have any or very little training. So that was actually fun. And you had learned the tricks. So that brought me up here into the Pacific Northwest, which I had been thinking of since high school. And I was in heaven. I loved it in this place, as we all know, is beautiful. I bought my first home at 28. Where'd you buy? I bought a ranch-style, fairly new house up in Ocean Park for $37,000. Wow. Yep. That's like a mid-sized car now. Yeah, I know. That's what a Rolls-Royce was in 1972. Don't ask me how I know that. But. <laughs> so anyway, I just came up here, and I was a, a jogger at the time. I won't call myself a runner ever, but I just was out running, and I was going to school and getting some extra credits, and I wasn't doing too much more besides teaching and getting more credits for my degrees and stuff, or not degrees, but just for pay scale and enjoying the beauty up here. So then retiring here wasn't hard because I already loved it. But then I started getting into, like I said, in 2017, Climate Reality Project came, and you were wondering about that. It's the Al Gore program from 2006, and Inconvenient Truth in 2006, Mm -hmm. and then in 2017, just the year I was trained with him in Denver, he came out with Inconvenient Sequel, Truth to Power. And so here I was in Denver. Two reasons I applied, two reasons. 
I wanted to learn more about climate change. And my son lives in Colorado. So I thought, ooh, a conference in Colorado on a topic I'm really excited to move forward with. And I can see Jordan while I'm there. Two birds, one stone. Yeah, it was great. And it was great. And then I have a friend that, that lives in, in Denver also, Clyde Zadens. And he was a volunteer here. And uh, they worked with the Coastal Alliance and several organizations here that were of service. And he's at that point was a retired physics professor from the University of Colorado. So anyway, it was interesting to meet him and get the pure science there. But the Al Gore program, there was a thousand of us in Denver, no COVID. So we were all in this convention center together. And I was blown away. I was sitting at my table of 20 with people all over. They were all from Washington, but I was the only elementary ed teacher there. And you have to apply and you have to give your real resume. And they have so many people apply that they actually do select. So I felt very and it honored. Was mostly teachers? No, there was, I, I was there. So I felt a bit intimidated because most of most, if not all, my professional growth has been with education. So here I was with scientists and architects and newspaper and technology and photographers and artists. So it was just an eye-opener. It's not that they were better, smarter, or more prepared. It's just that I wasn't used to being at a conference with that diversity. Lots of women, as we know, everywhere in the world now. So it wasn't like I was the only gal sitting there. But you were just feeling it. Yes. I thought, what do I have to offer here? But Teaching all those years, you have a lot to offer. And because I believe I am a lifelong learner, meaning I don't mind learning new things, it is intimidating, or putting myself out there. So I not only did my three days there, but then you sign, it's not a contract, but you're going to do some jobs of leadership. And they have different categories. Doing the presentation that Al Gore gives you, that is actually his, that you can tweak around and go make talk. Make it your own. Yep, make it your own. Um, do other things that you can make your own. But are you going to call influencers? Are you going to help another one of the um, leaders, the climate leaders, do their presentations? Are you going to be part of an action or an activity or start your own podcast or write letters to the editor? So there's many categories, and they want you to do 10 in a year. Mainly they wanted you to get out there and do his presentation. Sounds like a pyramid scheme, doesn't it? A little bit, but that's. it also just sounds like epidemiology, how you spread an idea. That's right. And he had well-based facts on everything. He had been working on this since 2000, and here it was 2017. And he's got the ability and the power to get the people to talk with him that he needs to have talk with him. So I was very, I'm easily impressed, even though at that point, I was still an older gal. But to meet the past vice president of the United States up close and personal for three days was wonderful. He's fun memories. He's a good speaker. He's got his presentation down pat. He's done it so many times because they have about four trainings a year around the globe. They they did virtual last year. But anyway, I was so hopped up. So I come back. I must have watched his presentation a hundred times. And because I thought, I've got to be ready to do this. I did finally to a Sean Stern's environmental ed class. I can't say I was Al Gore. Probably a good thing. I'll bet but you were close. No, I'm just, uh, it, there's so much to say with the slides, and I, obviously here I am a talker. 
I can go on forever. So periods come before I was done. I didn't finish the presentation, but I have other presentations I've made and that I've gathered from other sources more for the elementary level. I believe that's my audience of appeal and even junior high where you can plant the seeds of mm -hmm. the sad story, the we can do it story, and then, okay, let's do it story. So I always have a call to action at the end of the presentations and hoping that, and kids are motivated and I think one thing I wanted to get into the schools, which I haven't yet, is that when you talk about Earth Day with kids, the first thing they come up with, even to this day, the first and only thing a lot of them can come up with is recycle. It's reduce, reuse. And recycle truly is there, but it is the last. And, and there is a reason for that. I was going to ask, are there problems with recycling, like the inefficiency and the, the fact that it leaves a pretty big carbon footprint itself? I call recycling a dying art in some ways. We know that people aren't recycling the ones and twos. They just don't around the world. And anybody who watches any nature thing knows the animal situations in the marine the debris. garbage patch. And the garbage patch and stuff like that. So I decided in 20, well, I'll skip a few years. There's been many little projects I've done. But I decided it was Lent of 2019. I'm not Catholic. To what should I give up? So I decided plastic. That's ambitious. That was truly a journey, a learning curve, because I had to change how I eat. Did you make it 40 days? I did the seven weeks. Wow. To the best, you know what I'm saying. If somebody could come in my house and arrest me for plastic detail, I'm sure they would have found mm -hmm. something. I even went as far, I have cats and dogs, as to find out what packaging was not plastic. That's pretty good. That's right. I was, um, you should remember, Ultra and um, New Balance. I think it's called New Balance. That's a shoe, but I think, <laughs> I buy it all the time. You think I'd know. But it's paper. It does have the lining to it, but it's not a plastic bag. So that's as good as I could get with that. I can recycle the cans of wet food. I have a list in my bag that I'm going to give you and your family, Jeff. Oh, cool. <laughs> Beware of Polak's bearing gifts. I am Polish. <laughs> anyway, and in it is my journey that year on where to shop without oh, wow. plastic packaging. Uh, yeah, it was super fun. I, I started blogging at that time because I was using Facebook a lot. And I'm thinking, people are going to unfriend me because all I am doing is preaching I've worried about that sometimes. And I still continue, Jeff, because my blog didn't take off to the netherworld. Uh, I thought it was interesting, and I did chart my whole journey with the plastics, with photographs and sites and all that, and learned all about the seven kinds of plastics, so I enjoyed doing that. But what happens with me is once I'm doing a heartfelt project that encompasses not just my head but my heart and my physicality I cannot give it up so I have maintained a pretty high standard I would say that for myself a, an incredible skill how hard it is for most people to hold on to something like that it's impossible it's I I wish I could do that it's I I have all this motivation and then it will just disappear one day. And that's hard. <laughs> it's just, it just goes away. And then weeks will go by and I was like, oh yeah, I was all fired up about that thing. Whatever happened to that?
but it just does. It's just, and I've always been that way, absent-minded. I go from one thing to the next. But to have the resolve to to invest your head and your heart into a project and then really see it through—that's a major accomplishment. Thank you, but it's a live alone ability because I'm not impacting anybody in my household, so I can do these things easier. I have people that come and bring me leftovers, maybe it's something, or we're cooking together, and they actually apologize when they have a plastic bag in my house. Of course, I have plastic bags in my house. You can recycle them. I don't really know where they go. There's that wonderful movie. I forget what it's called. The Bag. I haven't seen that one. Oh, it is fair. it's fairly old. It's funny. So where is a way? They just go, where is a way? Yeah, Pacific Ocean. <laughs> Yeah. And when I see stuff flying around or whatever, or when I throw garbage away because I'm trying to work on zero waste, I put it in the receptacle. I said, I'm so sorry. Because what happened in 2019, most of the people I know read ingredients and they want to eat healthy and put healthy things in their body and their animals' bodies and, of course, their children's bodies. And then I'm thinking, and then all we're doing is putting the plastic packaging into Mother Earth, another alive most of lots of Mother Earth is alive. Yeah. And so I, I just couldn't do it anymore. Once I decided to do that, not frivolously, because in 2017, I had tried to get the city council here to vote on an initiative to ban the use of single plastics because Tacoma had done it. And at that point, Manzanita was the first coastal city that did it in Oregon. Well, this was 2017. And I said to the city council, see, this would mean something to me. We can be the first Washington coastal city to have this go down. That's a big play for some tourists coming into a community. Ecotourism has become much bigger and broader than it ever used to be. It's not just yuppies that are now doing that or people that are rich. There's just the normal folks that Mm -hmm. are much more careful about things or thoughtful because it's out there all the time. You hear about it, whether you believe in it or not, it's coming into you. So merchants showed up. Oh, I bet. Merchants. And I thought, whoa, I'm a little intimidated because I was just going to say, hey, yeah, let's vote on this and we'll do it if I ran the world. So what happened is because the merchant showed up and they didn't want to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. I truly don't believe that they liked plastic bags. I just think they didn't want somebody telling them you can't use them anymore. I kind of get that. I it, do too. Yeah. I think we all probably could relate. Do you ever feel like you're being pulled in multiple directions as, in your life as trying to be an ethical activist and trying to take the right stance and be on the right side of history about these things that are, are really matters of life and death for massive numbers of people? And do you ever worry that you're somehow betraying, even if it's just culturally, people that you live around or that they think you are betraying them somehow by trying to be an activist? For example, I'm married into a fishing family. My father-in-law is a commercial fisherman. We're in his shed right now. He owns this building and he is a benevolent patriarch. It makes the fishing industry seem really cool. I, I get it. I get the whole culture that's around the fishing community. Like growing up here, I was not a part of that because I wasn't in a fishing family, but I saw it and it. I used to think, I don't know, it was, I just didn't get it. But now that I'm actually involved in that and in the fold, I totally understand why the fishing industry is something that is so crucial to their existence and identity because it is. It's their bond to their community, to their families and all of these things. So 
I go to these events where those people are angry with people like yourself who are trying to protect their own family, who is everybody on this planet, which is our home. Like sometimes people really have the same goals and they don't understand that. And, and they think because the specifics of those goals don't align that they're somehow enemies. And I was just, I don't know how to get around that problem. I totally hear that. And I used to be kind of a, not even within the last five years, but growing up kind of a self-righteous person where I would be more attacking on levels like that. Since I retired and then I got to be more of an environmental activist, I have learned because they do a good job training you when you do go to these things or you listen to a webinar or a Zoom. We all have our stories. And that's how you relate to people. I'm not going to sit here and read the data to you about plastics or any other environmental concern because you can read it on your own if you want to. If you want me to talk about it, not you personally, but you know I could do that. But I just feel you go someplace with fishermen like you – I would be a, an environmentalist, but I'm also not stupid. You have to have a job. You have a great job. I eat fish. I love fish in my diet. I've actually had aquariums where I had tropical fish. So I would just, with them, I wouldn't be battling them that what they're doing is wrong, that what they're doing is right. How can we make it sustainable? Mm-hmm. How can we make fishing regenerative, meaning your children and your children's children will have a job during their lives also. And so once you know that I care about your family and I use what your family's product is, we're not on the we're not on the opposite sides of the coin at all. We just need to make sure I want to help you make it sustainable and practical, but not polluting. So how can we do that? And how can you still make your money? That's exactly what I was hoping you'd say. (laughs) Uh, Because I think there's really a disconnect between the activist community and the working community and the people who live in these areas. A lot of people who want to make decisions for water bodies or natural areas that they've never seen. And there are people who live there and they don't always agree with those decisions. What you just said made me think of something else. When you start working with the environment, there's a couple of things. You don't want to save something unless you love something. In other words, you would always save your children. Why? Because you love them more than anything in the world or your spouse or your family. Okay, why would I want to help Mother Earth? Because I love her. Why do I love her? Because I learn about her, whether it's environmental education with the refuge or whether it's going to climate reality and learning through Al Gore or it's my own readings. And you know how it is with emails and Internet. I can sit half my day reading article upon article from all the organizations that just have found me because I've either signed a petition or I've donated or whatever or become part of on my own. So that doesn't bother me, though, because information is power. Education is power. I think what happens a lot when you talk about somebody who's formally educated like you and I are, that can uh, that sometimes somebody that is self-trained or vocationally trained or went into an apprenticeship and is more hands-on and we're more sometimes heady we've done more reading or whatever 
there seems to be uh, a disconnect between those two bodies. Yeah. And that, that just goes over to being an activist or being a fisherman or something like that. But I think you can be both. It would be nice for me to learn. Of course, I fished. Joe Williams had a boat. We fished a lot, but not commercial fished and stuff like that. But I do think you have to walk, <laughs> cliche, in somebody else's moccasins. And I was also thinking of the indigenous people, because when you say people are doing things and they haven't even been there, they're making laws or maybe Nature Conservancy comes out and all of a sudden they're doing something to this farmer's land to make the salmon situation so that the salmon can flow in this little creek. And I know what I'm speaking of because the family was in Chinook and Iwako that had this concern with the Washington Land Conservancy coming in and making it salt water with so all the trees along that creek side died because they can't they're not salt tolerant and that really bothered those property owners so you you have to be very careful with stuff like that or going into an indigenous community and deciding you're going to do something which we now know there's a lot of press on what's going on with a lot of the fossil fuel lines and stuff and that's a whole other biz that I'm part of too and I'm not against fossil fuels I do believe it brought us to where we are but now it's time to turn the page and, and go forward with renewables. Time to move on. Yep. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. And actually, the fossil fuel thing is kind of an analogous situation to the fishing thing. And really, it's a much broader issue that I'm talking about. And it's just like perspective, knowing how to shift your perspective into that of another. How do you see it working out so that we can all get on the same page as a human species and realize we do all have the same goals and we really do all need the same things as one giant organism? And really, you could expand that to include the entire planet. We're all a big symbiotic mess of molecules. And how do you get humans, which tend to be selfish and egocentric, how do you get all of these little humans to see it all the same way and realize we're breaking our home. How do you do that? I used to believe this, but then I'll tell you why it's a little harder now. I was part of the AFS program for the International Student Exchange here at the beach for 10 years. And their mission statement is change a person, one, change the world one person at a time. So that's easy for me. You do it as a teacher, you do it as a mom, I do it as a grandma. But what we're talking here is global. And yes, I can still do all my no plastics and my reusable bags and my plant-based diet and my buy locally and see and eat seasonally. But what I've been learning now since uh, fall of last year, it's got to be legislative and policy. So people like me, and doesn't scare me, but we've had become political. Unfortunately, environmental situations have become political. If I talked with any Republican who didn't want to get off fossil fuels or stop the drilling or save the public lands, if I just was in their home or they were in mine and we were sitting there chit-chatting, we would be on the same wavelength a lot about how we want our families to be healthy and the planet to be healthy. But when it comes to, like you said, Jeff, the big bad bodies of the world, they can't seem to get together, hence the Congress. But I just... I don't know. When I have a problem with the environment, I just say, what would Greta do? Because, yes, Turnberg. Turnberg. From Sweden. Because back in 2015, when the first campaign with Trump was coming up and primaries and the debates, I realized that I was an old gal 
And this election from now on, these elections from now on, 2016 on, was for the kids, for the young people, for the young voters, for you, literally you, for my son, for my older stepkids, for my grandkids. I just had to go with that flow. Mm -hmm. I had to. And so that's what I'm going to do, Jeff. I'm going to go with the people that are super smart, that are a lot younger than me, that know how to organize, that know how to use the science base. We are judged by who we associate with, and I don't worry about that here. I'm, I'm a happy camper here and no wonderful people, but I am a global citizen, so I'm not going to be afraid. I am not afraid to be part of any organization that's going to be proactive to do what's needed to be done now. I, and people say, Martha, you're too radical, you're too progressive. And I'm thinking, hello, you just have to be who you are, and you don't have to come with me. But what I would say to everybody, don't just be part of the choir. Start singing. Because I am preaching to the choir all the time. My friends are part of my choir, but they don't always sing. They're not an activist, and not everybody can be. Also, I am retired. I am not raising grandchildren or children, but I just, I have to do it. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you said, what are you going to do with your life? You had to be creative, Jeff. You became a, a podcaster. You needed to do something. I need to do something. And I don't know how you found this, Jeff. Let me know. Things start coming to you. Whoa. Oh, so much. I, yeah. The, I don't want to get all woo-woo, but uh, yeah. I, I think well, it, it does. Is a little woo -woo. It is a little bit when you kind of just open up. To possibility and welcome it things just kind of fall in your lap it's crazy it's totally crazy did i want a job after i retired uh, no do i mind making money no but i i uh, was gonna say i graduated that's what i called it because i'd been in uh, school for 60 years as a student or a teacher in mm -hmm. 2015 so i didn't want a job and then i was around some other retired people and one of the gals comes up to me and she says martha I've got the per perfect position for you. And I said, I don't want a position. She says, but you'd be great at it. So I I'm pretty easy, you know. In other words, oh, somebody's complimenting me. So it was the Refuge Environmental Ed Program. Oh, perfect. And so I thought, oh, gee, Mike Robinson is interviewing me. Who doesn't want to go see Mike Robinson, right? Do you so know Mike? I of do course. know Mike. Well, well, he's a volunteer for the okay. Environmental Ed Program. Is he that through the Friends Group? Yes, it is. It's a grant that's um, paid for, and then we get the volunteers for it. Yes. And so I thought, well, I'll just go in and talk to them and tell them, thank you. That is so sweet, and I love your organization. Let me get involved with it. And, of course, I left with the job as a coordinator, right? And they were very gracious to me because while I was a teacher, I wasn't the lead scientist kind of person in environmental ed. So they hired a very young, recently graduated scientist. Oh, wow. A young gal named Gracie DeMaio. And so she and I co-coordinated it. And then she went on for grander things professionally. And then I, I became the total coordinator, the lone coordinator. But anyway, meaning that it just fell into my lap. I wasn't looking for it, but it's been great new people to know and the curriculum's beautifully established that's a wonderful place i really love willapa national wildlife refuge it's probably my favorite place in the world oh actually i spent a lot of time there i worked there for six years which yeah. part i was the crew leader for their spartina program oh so the noxious weed eradication yes. program and it was amazing it was a really formative experience for me as an adult i started working there immediately after high school. 
I had worked for Kim Patton at WSU Long Beach for the two years leading up to that. And then that got me the job at the Wildlife Refuge on the Spartina program. And then a couple of years in, I got promoted and it was just really an amazing experience. Wow. But yeah, it's it, the natural beauty that's out there is just unparalleled. It's, there's nothing like it. I've been around a lot of great people in my teaching career. And then to have this whole other group of people, and a lot of them scientists, most of them naturalists, you know, a lot of bird lovers, and I'm new to any kind of bird stuff, you know, I mean, I know that's a bird, but, you know, they are hardcore. And just to learn about the history. And like you said, it's a huge refuge. The diversity is amazing. So you can see just about Anything you want to see, more than 10 habitats out there. So I love all of that and uh, that they want to protect it and preserve it and restore it and all those great verbs. And then when you go present it to the kids in their classrooms, they're your little scientists. And I would have kids come up after every year, a few kids after every program, and they come up after class and they say, I want to be a scientist when I grow up. They do. They think I'm a total scientist because I'm the main presenter and then we break mm-hmm. into groups. And so I love that because I'm not. I I never been the scientist in my family. My brother is a medical doctor. You know, he's the scientist. I was the philosophy and languages and literature girl. You were the abstractionist. I was. But it's boded well. It's paid off because I like to write also. And I call myself Mrs. Dr. Seuss when I would walk down the halls because rhymes and rhythm in language comes very easily for me. What do you think is behind that rhymes and rhythm coming naturally thing? Because I have that too. It's almost like a language that my brain understands, but I don't consciously get it. Like uh, the timing of music or a rhyming scheme. My brain is pretty good at just filling it in. Almost like once it learns the rule, it just finds stuff that fits and just puts it in. And I'm sure people who can freestyle rap really fast or people who can do poetry off the cuff or people who are improvisational comedians, people who just do that kind of thing and practice that area of the brain and get it really tuned in. Do you think there's is, is some, it's actually a, like a specific mechanism or do you think it's just a gift? That is a great question. And not knowing exactly how the brain is wired for that, I know that we are wired to acquire language, but we are not wired to be able to read. So reading really is a rocket science Mm -hmm. because we are not wired that way. So I'm thinking it has something to do with how things affect that wiring. For me, I've always liked music and dance and um, always wish my mom had pushed me into dance because I for sure could have been a ballerina. I am sure of it. Not really. I love ballet. I always, even in L.A. and even up in Seattle, I would get season tickets Uh for Twyla Tharp and Martha Graham and the old school, because I don't know who's current now and those kind of things. I saw Margot Fontaine dance from the British Ballet at 50 years of, she was 50 years of age in downtown L.A. So all those things, point being, they fascinated me. They drove, they I was drawn into them, and the music behind it, it it affects me viscerally. So for me, when anything affects me viscerally, and that's what sound does and everything, I cry. I I start physically reacting to it. And so when I'm around people and we're in one of these things, like I'm watching Phantom of the Opera in the Paramount Theater or something like that, 
and I'm I'm in awe. It has taken me to a whole other place. And I know it's all woo-woo stuff, but you got to live in your own body. But that's so. how we're wired. And if I, you're wired like that, Jeff, and you sound like you are, it's just, then it just takes off for you. Yeah. And, and it's a blissful experience. Oh, it's joy. And I, that's so funny. I, I really have a hard time doing that, letting myself just experience things fully like that in public because it's, what's that guy? Why is that guy so into it? Um, like, I'm not going to close my eyes at a concert, um, but I want to. Uh, like the the experience of that is very, very primal. It's like something it like taps into some kind of spot that's deep within deep within a human, where it's just like that's the good button. It, it's it's really art is a amazing thing. And I think because you're a guy and I'm a gal, I think that's part of the the problem there because, you know, I'm allowed, and as I've gotten older, now I'm the old woman too. Mm-hmm. I can truly just be, yeah. not I'm not anything I want to be, but I can just be me. Yeah. I play the old woman cards, you know, if I'm stupid, I'm stupid. If I'm, if I'm brilliant, I'm brilliant. If you're wise, you know, if I want to dance, I dance. And nobody thinks weird. And then being the girl too, I could cry and I mm-hmm. cry easily. I always have. You don't want to have a glass of wine with me and start talking about Jordan because I will immediately cry. Not Michael because, Jordan? Yeah, no. <laughs> He's great too. My Jordan. Mm-hmm. Hi, Jordan. Yeah, yeah listen to this. you're right about that though. The dancing is especially like I grew up the church I went to growing up was um very exuberant the church on the hill the church on the hill that's where I met your mom they would bring out a a bear like a you know basket thing full of ribbons and scarves and set it at the front of the room at the front of the congregation like below the stage and you know full-grown women would go out you know grab a scarf and as the as the music's going there whipping it around dancing fully in the rapture of the music and um, I did not see a lot of middle-aged men doing that. But, um, yeah, you know, it's just culture. Yeah. yeah. And that, that church had a lot of music to it, you know, and yeah. a lot of, like you said, in the spirit stuff. And I have um, – I am now not within – the normal religious society stuff. I, I kind of feel like for me, it's more of a spiritual journey mm-hmm. than it is an organized religious journey. But my upbringing up through my 40s was, you know, going to many different kinds of churches. And that was another thing that led me. Churches stuff. are interesting. They're very interesting. I was in a church in Malibu, California. It was probably a cult. Uh huh. And there was a university that was actually associated with this beautiful acre upon acre. Whoever was funding this situation, it wasn't me. Sounds like a cult. (laughs) It was a cult. But, you know, I learned so much. I tapped into things I never would have tapped into, like reincarnation and just stuff that I Anyway, lots of... I've thought a lot about reincarnation. So um, I believe in it, actually, from just how I feel about certain things and uh think, well, where did that come from? What about deja vu? I don't really have a deja vu moment, but I have a deja vu culture Mm -hmm. (laughs) or a deja vu gender. I get deja vu, I'd say, weekly. I get it very, very often. And it's weird. It's like... It's just a, a, a tone that will take over the whatever moment I'm in. And then all of a sudden, I'm just like, oh, this is exactly like last time. And even though I just like, there's no possible way that that had happened before. And I, I used to wonder about that so much as a child, about what that could possibly be. 
in my during my education, I wondered about that a lot too. But I kind of I took more of a materialist approach to neuroscience, to just how we're basically. I, I thought of us like really complicated and wet, squishy robots. Like it's all just inputs and outputs. Like we're just systems. Wow. I do not feel like that now. Nope. I feel like that we're more of like drops of consciousness placed in these environmental conditions and then we're shaped by those environmental conditions like water you know you take on the shape of whatever vessel it's in Hmm. um and that makes it a little easier to be kind to people who are assholes because you're like well they must something made them this way something shaped them into that asshole shape See, I learned uh, in my 30s and since then that, you know, we, and I feel this is a luxury to, to understand that we have four bodies. We have our mental body, our emotional body, our physical body, and our spiritual body. So if you don't keep all four of those healthy, your, your, your system, you know, your little vessel of water, or, you know, atoms and molecules and what we're made up of won't function as well. And then I have, on my own, through some input, realized that God for me, that's going to be a heavy topic now. Um, we tend to go there on this show. Yes, it, it goes It happens. Deep, that I see God as the universe. And, I, and when we put ourselves in that universe, how small are we? Oh, we're really, 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 really small. So I'm figuring that I am this small little thing inside the universe of God. But just as we know our own bodies, if we have cells that are bad or sick, we can make the whole body sick. And so that's why if I want to save my I would want to make myself healthy and and as the best I could be mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, because that's what it is to love God. Oh, that's because brilliant. you love yourself. And I'm sure I'm not the only person who sees it that way. But I do picture God as a man. Yes, sometimes when I think of I need somebody to hold me or please help me, I do get the anthropomorphic. Well, thing. he's definitely a shapeshifter anyway. Yeah, probably. He can be whatever he wants. And so for me, and that's why the universe and Mother Earth and all that, it's just, it's so important. How can you do that? To You're doing it to yourself because it ultimately because I believe in karma too, it's going to come back to you or else you're just going to make it sick. You're making yourself sick. Yeah. And so... There's no space uh, no, between us and, no. and the air we're breathing and, and no. the land we're living on. Everything is just all blended together. We're in a big molecular soup. Yep. And you're right. When If you're not caring for your surroundings and your environment and the things you depend on for life, you're not taking care of yourself. Right. And you're probably not taking care of yourself either. And you know... Of course, I have a lot of time to think, like I say, because I'm not working full time. But then COVID, everybody had a lot of time. And they thought whether they wanted to or not, probably just scared themselves to death. Because it was, they said during COVID, people are dreaming deeper and remembering more. I mean, what's that all about? Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, we've connected in, we've all had this experience. Yes, it's affected us differently. Different things have happened to us in different capacities. But truly, this brought the world together. We've experienced this time together. You know what I'm saying, together. Yeah, completely. At least in the same time, you know. Unless it's going to be a, a time period that we all talk about for the rest of our lives. Oh, yeah. To anybody, to any, pl- yeah. to any I was going to say planet, to any country, to any nation. It'll be like surviving the Great Depression. Yep. Or well, 9-11. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. 
those are even both. more, even more so because it's it's global. I mean, it's yeah. every country was that's was true. involved in this. So you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think being connected once, then you say, well, gee, what else is connected? As I'm talking to the fisherman, or I'm talking to a climate denier, you know, or somebody who says, what, Martha, you can't get off fossil fuels. Uh, yeah, we can, and and we can if we want to. Why? Because America can. We can because we can. We have it all. We have the money, we have the science, we have the people, we have the population to put it into action. It's just stopping because they're not willing and able to say, you know, we've got to change our economy. Yeah. FDR changed our economy, literally rewrote the economy. And it was pretty good, except he eliminated women and blacks and people of color. But we didn't know about there that back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some hiccups back in 1940. So, you know, my mother being of that era, I understand racism through my mother. And then when the racism thing became really big last year, too, I mean, to the forefront again, just like climate yeah. was, it was just like, oh, yeah, there's my white privileged person and you got to see how much pain and anger is really going on in the world right now it it was kind of shocking i'm i'm a little bit isolated out here at the coast and i mean i i knew that stuff was people were in happy places but just the amount of energy expended in that though that six month period it was just like protests every day for months and months and months well my brother who's very different than me, which is a good thing. It's, it's a hard thing, but it's a good thing. He could not understand how they got violent. And me, really, I'm the 180 to that. I am impressed when things don't get violent. I mean, I, I expect that kind of stuff for some reason, and it scared some of my friends. And see, it doesn't... I didn't agree with it. I mean, yeah. I don't believe in violence, and I don't believe you don't in have to burning agree things. With it to get it, but it's just like, yeah, it didn't. It didn't scare me. I, I didn't really. The insurrection sort of scared me a little bit, particularly when they found out since you know other things that were going on, but because we were watching it also for the whole day. But the um, yeah, the protests in Portland, I think, got way beyond, way beyond, and I think in Seattle. So it, I wasn't afraid, but I was just thinking, like, I think what you were saying, okay, let's be more, um, let's do something to make it better rather than just complaining. There are a lot of people who feel like they're being lied to or manipulated or treated unfairly but like i don't want to convolute the, the the issue with black lives matter and the climate thing let's stay with the climate no here's what i want to say go ahead what i when the election was coming up for 2020 to me climate is the housing of everything because we found out that no matter what the problem is whether it's climate or I would call it systemic racism, you know, the racism thing, or the immigration thing, or, you know, the food thing. It's all related. Who gets affected the most? Who is affected the most by all of those things? The poor. The poor people. The undereducated people because they can't make a living to eat well, to find property where they're not drilling or they're not doing something Being that's causing out. pollution or flooding or the things that are happening. And I always felt that climate was right there. So that's when I knew I wanted climate to be my number one priority. I wanted a, a candidate that was going to be talking climate 
a lot. And I was very grateful that as 2020 rolled in and around and we were picking our candidates and everything, that that started being talked about more. So it was also the issue with Black Lives Matter. I really believe that they're totally related. After the 2016 election, I had a big aha as an American citizen. When Trump was elected, I realized I was out of touch with almost half of people in America. Okay, then we realized that people did not want a politician, hence he was the non-politician and Hillary was the worst woman candidate to run. Sorry, my opinion. I just don't feel she was the one that was going to be the one. And then in 2020, when so many people were still voting for President Trump, I then totally knew I was out of sync because they weren't trying to elect a non-politician, you know, like the 2016 thing. They didn't trust the systems were broken. You know, we wanted to get somebody new and they did. Well, now they still wanted this person after four years. Then I knew I was totally from an alternate universe mm-hmm. I remember. <laughs> or time. And, and I just say that because I didn't get it. Like you said, you can hear somebody say something, you can watch them do it, and two people will have a totally different take on that. How do we keep money from corrupting our shift from a fossil fuel-based economy and basically world into a more sustainably-based system? Well, you can't have success definition by the GDP. I'm more meaning like, so the reason that we are still on fossil fuels is because it's still making money. Yes. People are still raking in the dough from that industry. So they are highly motivated to keep it going. And they're doing that through unethical ways, most likely, like misinformation and, you know, squashing competitive industries like solar and you know electric cars or lying since the 70s with exxon about this was going to be harming our planet yeah yeah so how how are we going to do that well we have to have the powers that have the power not you and i sitting here unfortunately but grassroots is where everything starts that's what happened in 2018 that's why the sunrise movement and the indivisible movement came up and we changed the House and we we did lots of things and a lot more women were elected into the Congress. Those are the things we can do at the grassroots level to then vote not to be allowing our government to be run by the fossil fuel industry. I'm sure there's others. There's banks because what are your investments? Okay, are you helping fund Finance the fossil fuel industry? Is a whole other thing. But I mean, they're they go hand in hand. A yeah. Bit. And then the misinformation, and then actually the lies. I mean, there have been lies, of course, in many fields. But I just think those of us at the grassroots level, like people here, you know, in every community, can make sure that we have to be political, unfortunately. People don't like to do that. But when campaigns come up, who are you going to put in? Then who you put in? I have written, I have emailed Biden three times already, and he shoots you back the generic thing. But I talk, we talked about Jamie Herrera Butler. I email her and I find out that she voted no on the We the People and it went to the Senate. And that was for voter involving voter suppression. I don't know she that voted one. No. H.R. 1 was the very first House bill in the feds. And it was all about how to make voting easy for everybody. Okay, I won't go through all the ways you do that. But the mail-in thing, the early thing, leave the polls open and all that kind of stuff. So it passed our House because we, okay, the House, the Congress. And it went to, but Jamie voted no. Hmm. 
And that it, was it was just divided. No, it, yes, it was partisan politics. So how we need to make sure that who we put in are the people that we want in, and also then once once they're in. Our job, this is what I realized in 2015, our job isn't done. Oh, we'll just wait until the next election and see what's going on. No, you have to talk to them all the time. Mm-hmm. And the coolest thing for me is because I sign things, you know, and they ask me to do things, I get more. So I can go immediately to the bill and I can comment on it. I could even take myself up to Olympia and sign up to go talk if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's ways to do that. And because of COVID, I'm not going as many places, but I am putting my comments down and I'm reading the thing, you know. You a lot re- of young people don't even realize that they can do that. Oh, it's totally. Like, you just and that they're, 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 they you know? need to do that. People yeah. don't comment on legislation. And I don't, I didn't as a worker and a mom either. Do you know what I'm saying? I was yeah. doing my family thing. I get it. I might be better now if I was a young mom and I was doing it now. I think I would have to be. But even, You realize pretty quickly that it's a lot of work. Even just to read the bill, yep. it, that takes half your day. There's a lot of stuff to, to take in and understand. How do you communicate a, the need for better understanding and better education of statistics and like probabilities and things that make it possible to understand data? Wow. I don't know if I understand data. Well, I'm, but, you know, when you read a, a magazine article and there's a graph in there. Oh, and uh, I can do those. Yeah. And a lot of people will read it incorrectly by not understanding how the scale works or not understanding what's on this axis versus this axis. I, I see it all the time. The general public has a very poor understanding of research methods and statistics. Wow. I think because, in general speaking, back in my day a long time ago, I went to college in the 60s and 70s, there wasn't a lot of, we weren't, well, I wasn't in the field to do that either. I was in elementary education and I didn't do a lot of formal science. So I would say I would have had to have learned on my own I don't know if I'm interpreting things wrong. I probably need to be in the classroom to know if I'm doing that. Because when you're just at home reading it yourself, you're getting what you're getting for yourself. That's such a good point. I really think, just like with finances, junior and senior high kids need to know how compound interest works and how you put money away to save. And what do you have a pension? Oh, well, if you don't have a pension, what are you going to do? Are you ever thinking of retiring? No, you're 13. You're probably not thinking about it. But maybe by the time you're 50s or 60s, you know, those kinds of things to plan ahead. Don't live in the future, but, you know, know what what's coming down the pike, because those things financially don't change as markedly as reading data graphs and some of them are too complex i think De- definitely know. there's there's professionals for a reason yeah but there there's a certain level of competency that's required to be able to understand something as grandiose as climate change if it's even possible something with so many factors and yep. so many variables in such a large time span and it's not all just right now you know exactly. it's like well we'll just wait a few years or we'll just you know we don't have to act upon it it's not like COVID. Mm-hmm. We need to do this now. We Perfect need to example. warp speed. We need to get this vaccine. We need to get this done. It's done. People were dropping dead, and it was still hard to convince everybody, like, throw on a mask. Come on. It, like, it, It's just the flu. Yeah. People will argue no matter what. So when, so when scientists are telling the general public there's been a one to two degree increase in the, that you doesn't know, mean over anything. the annual temperature average, the, the layperson doesn't – that doesn't sound like shit. Because they're like, oh, 
it went What's up 10 degrees percent? yesterday. Yeah, yeah. True. Our reference point, well, that's what you're saying. It's the scale. It's the reference points to the whole yeah. thing. And when you get involved with it, you know what that means, how lethal that is. And a lot of graphs in, in Al Gore's presentations and stuff, which I loved because they're interactive, you know, they're woo, up there on the stage. He's done them very nicely. So they're very impressive. And it shows from 1880 to 2017 how the earth has heated up. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the Earth, and it's rolling. No, but it, it's actually the Earth. Oh, and it it's shows here. like a yes. graphic. And the, yes, and then it's getting red. And it's where is it getting red? Why is it getting really red at the poles? What happened in 1980 that all of a sudden it was going whoosh? And you can see World War II, there was a whoosh. And you can see in the 80s, I think it was because China and India were becoming industrialized. Oh, that makes sense. Go figure. And so... That's a historical point of view. So why don't, histo- you know, historians would be interested in climate change. And so I just find it, it brings in so many um, fields of interest. It's not yeah. just one. It's not just climatology. When you're talking about people, it's all about my social science part of it, too. There's a lot of myths that I think confuse people. Yep. And they'll just say them over and over and over again without ever really thinking it through. Well, it gets cold or it's snowing now, so it's not global warming. We had a lot of snow. We did in the Cascades Mm -hmm. this year, a lot of snow. Where in Colorado, there really wasn't as much snow. I was watching both of them. And so that doesn't mean anything. It just means that all weather is more severe. And when you watch the graphs, our Earth does breathe from the seasons. It goes up and down and breathes. But when you see the graphs... They are going up the whole time. And the norm, the baseline now is sliding over to what was normal to what is extreme. Yeah. And so I just feel like... And accelerating. Yes, and accelerating. It's kind of exponential acceleration. And so I I just would... Living here is hard for climate change because we live in such a beautiful place. We're Mm -hmm. not flooded. There's not... Well, we do have droughts, but I mean... Really not droughts. Well, I learned something about trees. You know, I love trees. If you're ever in the, you know, an environmental activist, well, you love the trees. Well, Jordan sent me from Colorado what the forestry has found now that the forests in Colorado are emitting more carbon than they are sequestering. The pine beetle and the spruce beetle have damaged the forests so severely in the last five years that those trees are what? Oh, no, decomposing. Dying. Dying sends off carbon, right? When things decay. And my fourth graders learn this environmental edge, you know, it gives off carbon. It doesn't sequester it. And consumes oxygen. Yeah. And I just thought, wow, you know, all these beautiful trees. And when I was there in 2017, when I was in the Rocky Mountain National Park and I was hiking around after, uh, around Grand Lake on the west um, side of the park, there was rangers, they were out sawing logs, and they were working a bit as I was walking the trail. And I had heard about the pine beetle. And so when I walked by, and I said, are you hauling off dead logs from the from the pine beetle? And he, he said, yep. And when you look at their forests now, you know, all those evergreens, there's so many just Yeah, It's so barren. weird, too, because like some of them, sometimes it's like a big strip uh, like when you're looking down a valley that used to be just solid green, there would just be big like veins of light brown, just where just 10 trees here, 10 trees there. And then every once in a while, you just get like one tree in a bunch of live trees. It's weird, but it, it's so sad. Oh. And it's like that all up and down eastern Washington. Is it too? Mm-hmm. And then we had the aphids or something here that we're doing along the roadways and stuff yeah. into the, was it spruce? The spruce, yeah. That, I think a trees. lot of those are what came down a couple of weeks ago in that ice storm because oh. they they had died three years ago. 
and then just been standing, just getting brittle. My last couple of years driving from Long Beach to Ocean Park every day, there are trees on that near the road that have and could fall down. And I started getting a little nervous because it's real dark in the winter driving up there before 7 o'clock. And one day a tree had gone down before any of us got there. And I saw it. And people had stopped and kind of were texting maybe friends that they knew were going to be coming to work and stuff. And Lynn Wielden, (laughs) hi, Lynn. She didn't she didn't go through it, but she didn't get around it enough, and mm-hmm. so it poked her grill out and stuff. Oh. Yeah, I mean, damaged her car major, you know, and it didn't fall on her, but I thought. And then I think there is actually somebody who was hit by a falling tree on the road up to Ocean Park. I'm thinking, oh, my God. So, yeah, I've always wanted to call. Who owns those trees? I think they should take those trees out because they're right on the road, like you said. Well, if they're in the right-of-way, the county owns them. I know. So the county, do they come and they They clear? They They do 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 a real good job. There's definitely some trees around here that are (laughs) treacherous, for sure. The the swampiness of this climate, like the whole peninsula, it seems like we just decided to come in and build a town on a swamp bring in a bunch of sand and fill it in but it still has a pretty extensive network of swamps and ponds and lakes all through i always say buy in the winter because when driving like i said on that back and forth for the 19 years to ocean park you would see some houses that literally had a moat around them you know and i thought okay you wouldn't want to buy that in the summer thinking you could get into it in the winter but you're right i i do know how things could be fixed but like you said it's it takes money and it takes devotion it definitely takes both of those things and a lot more we talked about the the disconnect between people who work and live in natural areas and people Mm -hmm. who are trying to protect these areas i really think that these two groups have the same goals they both want to be able to live and you know recreate and harvest from these areas and to do so in perpetuity. How do we connect those two groups? What kind of programs should exist if they don't already that would help to bridge the gap in understanding? Because they both do know the problem, but they're different problems and different versions of the land in their own head. Well, you know, Salty Talks, did you ever go to any yeah, of the Salty Talks? those are fantastic. I love Salty Talks. So that, that venue popped right up in my head where you could get a person Two people, instead of just having one, you could start having a discussion and then the audience would be asking and and responding. I just You could do a live podcast. Yes. And I've, because I don't like to do the presentations for climate and certain things always, I always felt like I could be a good facilitator because I've lived here, you know, like 38 years and know a lot of different kinds of people to have panels of people, you know, and I could moderate, you know what I'm saying. But I know those have been always the best things at conventions and stuff. Often when you have three to four people who are talking about something like that, it just opens up. And then you bring in the audience, all those people have they're, they're people that they influence a bit. So your audience would be more diverse, too. And then you could sit down in that one little arena and have a mini session on how, you know, and the topic needs to be specific and how we can work together on this. Like when Jamie Herrera Butler comes to our town, we never know, right? Because she uh-huh. wouldn't come do a town hall here back 
in the day. And But she will come talk to the fisheries. She'll go down to the port and she'll have a closed meeting of sorts with, and she gets along with them and she does a good job. She is a good advocate for she the fisheries. She supports the fisheries yes, for the most yes, part. Yes, she does. And she does have her groups and stuff like that. But we need to be more open. We need to hit everybody, you know, and, and have the have that open to, so we can all hear what's going on with the fisheries. I mean, it affects our lives, even though I'm not fishing. Like I said, I eat fish. Mm-hmm. I don't want microplastics in my fish. What do they think about that? I bet you they know about that. How are we going to do that? You know, so that we're not getting sick. And my body could probably tolerate a little bit because it's older. But if you're a five-year-old that's going to be raised eating that kind of stuff their whole life, it's going to catch up with you by the time they're my age. Yeah, the Fukushima radiation will get them before the mercury does. (laughs) (laughs) Probably, yeah, another thing. Yeah, that's one thing about eating fish is there are a lot of considerations with environmental toxins. And it's it's a wild-caught food, so most of the time it's not getting tested or anything. I've been curious about that, about just, like, wondering if there's radiation in this piece of tuna. or Because or, the Fukushima stuff continues to wash up on our beach. And that was, what, 2011? Yes, it was. Uh, yeah. I'm, it was just today. I think it was 10 years oh, today. Oh, no shit. I think what it was March 10th, 2011. I found one of those boats, um, one of the first ones that washed up mm-hmm. when it was really exciting still before everyone had found a ton of the garbage. I haven't found it. The, there was like a few months where every day there was new buoys and new boats and all kinds of just junk coming up on the beach. A lot of it had Asian Where characters. were you beachcombing or where, where did you find this? I or? think I found that just north of Seaview, I want to say. Wow. Okay. George Hill came up and pulled it and towed it off. Wow. But it was covered in creatures I've never seen before. So it was really cool. I've got some really cool pictures from that. I should post them. Did you touch it? I did, yeah. Because they made a thing about that, right? Yeah, people are always telling me not to touch stuff. <laughs> I touch it anyway. You are glowing, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the radioactive uh, gooseneck barnacles gave me superpowers. <laughs> um, but, yeah. what, what would you say your superpower is? My superpower is science. 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 Yeah, because not because I know it all, but because I really believe that's the path that everybody can walk on. But again, I was reading just recently and somebody said, well, yeah, they're reading left wing science. That's that is a thing. There is biased science. Well, there is politically biased. Yes. But I'm sure there is. There, there's anything that you could ever want to imagine is out there, I'm sure. So what would you say? How do I make sure it's the right science? Doesn't mean outliers are always wrong. But when, you know, like they say. But said, usually, yeah, statistically. See, that's what I'm saying. 5% is, on both ends of the normal curve. You know, there, there are abnormal instances. That's what, that's what I was saying earlier about people not fully understanding what they're saying. Gotcha. Because there is... Not an opportunity for people unless they're going to college to learn research methods, which is where I learned it. And I loved that stuff. It was like hated by most people. I, it just clicked with me and it I just liked it. It talked to you. It explained. Is that why? Yeah. It, it, it's like all of a sudden you can understand these vast amounts of information that concerning who knows how many different people or, or experiences in a really 
neat package. And it's all done with really basic math, using population sizes and sample sizes to understand what an effect is within a group. It's a really interesting thing because there's always chance involved. The scientific method is not an absolute tool for understanding truth. It's a tool for finding causality. And it's only useful for that in a situation when you can run a true experiment with controlled variables. So every other type of scientific inquiry, which is most scientific inquiry, is correlational or epidemiological, where it's making these correlations over a vast time period. And a lot of it's based on self-report data or things that, I mean, I don't want to be too broad, but you can easily cherry pick data to make it say whatever you want. And there's a lot of shitty research being done. And so there, basically, people who know what they're talking about can make whatever argument they want. They can trick people who don't know what they're talking about into believing something that's completely untrue. People who don't know how to interpret that stuff, they don't have the tools they need to judge the data, so they have to judge the source. And so they're, they're forced into a position where they have to pick somebody to believe. And we, we now live in a world where I don't believe anybody. I think that money has corrupted so many people in leadership and just fear of judgment, fear of retribution has corrupted people in, in the way of keeping them silent. And people don't say what they really think and what they really believe because they're afraid of judgment or political scrutiny. It's a dangerous situation. You think the layman is afraid of political scrutiny or do you just think I the do. Po- oh, you do? I do. I think most people are are not comfortable saying what they believe without first running it through the political filter. Like, does this make me sound bad to the left? Does this make me sound bad to the right? Nah, neither. I mean, okay, I'll say it. But I know I do. And I'm a moderate. I'm conservative on some issues and I'm liberal on others and a bit of a maverick, I guess. But I don't pick a team because I think both teams do a lot of bad things and also a lot of good things. Um, and that's just how humans work. But it's basically I'm looking for, for ways to move forward. I'm tired of arguing with people. I'm tired of listening to other people argue. I just think we need to accept the things that we know. Mm-hmm. which are not very many things, and use our best judgment to decide the rest. And on something like climate change, the scientific method is not going to prove causality. We don't have an opportunity to make a testable hypothesis, especially not on that time scale. We're talking millions of years. Mm-hmm. It's never going to happen. So for the people who are waiting until the theory of evolution is a fact, you're never going to get that. So you have to judge with the most information, with the best information you have now, which is overwhelmingly convincing. So if somebody says there's an organization called 350.org, okay, because that we stayed at 300 parts per million carbon in the air for a long, long time, 1880 on, and all of a sudden we're at 450, and I'm sure we're probably 420 now. How can that be biased politically? Do you know what I mean? It can't, right? It's, it, it, People can put their head in the sand. Isn't that, There are things, though, Jeff, that are just a fact. I think that would be one yes. that you could say. So th- then that would be what I would present. I would present things that you couldn't say, well, yeah. I would also say to people, it's experiential because I am a social scientist. So, gee, clamming season. 
oh, doggone, that demoic acid again and whatever, or 2015, gee, the algae bloom and stuff like that, or, or the acidification and things are happening to the oysters or the clams and stuff. That's experience that is happening. That continues to be a problem. Oh, the fish. I was reading the fish thing in the Observer today and the salmon season, and it's it's up and down, right? Mm-hmm. Less, more, less, more and stuff, and they really fight it and they battle it and it's their livelihood and stuff. So why is that happening? Well, it's habitat. It's a lot of habitat situation. It's not just the warming of the water. And they can talk, they can show you that the water is warmed and and, yeah. and the different depths of how it, how much it's warmed. So for me, it's just like, yeah, am I just listening to the left science? I don't want to be that girl. I want to know the science. You know, I want to make sure. But I think that, like you said, that has us you do need a second to check yourself and to double check and to look at other things. And the problem now for a lot of us is that everything comes through our way is just preaching to what we already think. Mm-hmm. We have to go out of our way to read something or change the channel and don't watch that news moderator all the time. Let's see what the reality is on this moderator. It's not a bad thing to do. Yeah, It's hard because we don't like it or ugh, that's junk but i mean i don't do it often enough but i i am at least reading (laughs) some pretty hardcore things on policy that i never thought i would read you know i think what we're doing right now is a great way to start yeah and and really like you said before grassroots is how stuff changes totally any anybody historically and and politically will tell you that that's where it all happens from and whether john f kennedy did it or whoever did it you know obama was great at it well trump was great at it right i mean he got his people yeah he had his base yeah yeah i really think that this it could be in the next big wave in communication because we now have this digital ability to, to connect all over the world, True. but people aren't using it to sit down and talk for two hours about climate change. People are, in general, communications are short, and it's just, you know, get the information across to this. And we do have webinars and these things, but there's something about a face-to-face conversation that's really True. beneficial. And when people listen to it, it's like they're in the room. This I, is so much better than Zoom. I can yeah, see your whole fantastic. physicality. It's just, it's a wonderful experience. I've Zoomed quite a bit with two mm-hmm. groups of friends and then on other things that I watch. And so it, it's okay, but it gets old. The flat screen. But if enough of these conversations are happening over enough time, the right ideas are going to make their way to the top. Like, hopefully, people will, because if, we, if we're saying something and we make some kind of a claim that's completely wrong, people will call us on oh, it. you better believe it. I would want to know. I wouldn't want to give out anything wrong in <laughs> Exactly. I have a tendency to exaggerate statistics, so I don't cite them too often. (laughs) I just give the gestalt. But I do think that the conversations, and you're right, being much older than you, you know, everything's short and sweet, like text, 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 even quick email or something like that. And finally, when you realize that you're just sitting there texting, I pick up the phone. I mean, obviously, they're available. So let's have a conversation because you Things can be read wrong. You can, it's not always a good communication source. And so I do think the best way to do it is, yep, face to face. Yeah, I think so too. And really the, my my whole point about the thing is about the podcasting versus Zoom or whatever is just that I'm concerned about our future as a species. You should be. And I think that a lot of people know about the problems, the threats, the existential threats with that are climate change and you know sea level rise lots the all of the offshoots 
from you know all the hits global famine war all those things that are going to happen if climate change accelerates as it seems climate like it's refugees going to. It, it is a truth when you cannot farm your land in you know the center of the equator area you have to leave that and you go into the cities well hence then you have a lot of social problems with all that kind of stuff it's yeah, and the people who have the power to get out ahead of these problems are usually the last ones to be confronted with it because they're protected. They're, they're, they're usually wealthy or, or in positions of power. And so it's easy to just ignore problems until they're right at your front door. Or sitting on the lovely Long Beach Peninsula. Yeah. You know, you have a hard time convincing people here who are a bit of deniers anyway that there is a problem with climate, that there is a problem with the economy. Mm-hmm. It's it's hurting people because of climate. People are out of jobs for this and la, 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 la. And you can't blame them because no, their life is okay. That's right. It's like, why are you trying to ruin my day? Exactly. Get out of here, lady. I don't want to hear about the world and burning. And I, I don't ever sit down and talk about climate to people except you or a couple of girlfriends. But I don't either because they have to want to know. They well, have to want to talk about it or it's just really awkward. It is. And I, I, that's another thing I've tried to be good about learning. You're not going, if people don't ask you, they don't want to know. You know, I can say what I say. And I try not to make any of my friends feel too bad. I, I send them things sometimes, or if there's a bill that they could write a comment on, because it's that important to the world, to mm-hmm. me, not to me, Martha, to the global situation and the local situation. And they can do what they want with it. And I always, I, I hope they would tell me, Martha, you know, thank you. I know your heart's in the right place, but don't send me anymore. <laughs> and I haven't heard that yet, but I know they don't all act upon it, but that's okay. At least they have a choice. They can or they cannot. But I do think people need to have the information. Have it in front of you, and then if you don't want to do anything with it, that's okay. But I do think it's important to have the information available. And that's what I would like to be is the source, not the expert, but a source of the information on where to go to find the answers or what you want to do with it or how do you get active or Speaking of sources of information, yeah, yeah. what is clean energy? How do you define that? Clean energy would be not fossil fuels because fossil fuels and natural gas. So clean energy would be EV cars. Clean energy would be solar and wind. And some people say nuclear, but then the real purists would say no. What about hydroelectric? Hydroelectric isn't always considered a renewable energy. And it also has some problems with the way the dams are created with the warming of the water around there that does affect the fish and, and, and does affect the level of water that's let go and spilled and or contained and not. So the, the purest, it's wind and solar and, and geothermal. Oh, geothermal's cool. Yes. And some people like nuclear, but I don't. That's just a personal opinion. It's not because uh-huh. I'm an expert in it. But, you know, they're very expensive. They are a little bit scary. And what do you do with the waste products? I, I think that every one of your generation probably feels that yeah, way about I nuclear. Yeah, I do think, I do think um, so, too. They were Chernobyl very, and, yeah. and things that happened. And, uh, you know, Trojan was ugly and kind of freaky looking, right, as you'd be going into Portland. And then all of a sudden it was gone and sats up, you know, that blinks at you. And that's mm-hmm. always, they're always kind of like alien beings. So, Have you ever been out to Hanford? No, I have not. It's interesting. There's just it would be as far as you can see these big dirt mounds, and they're Where all the full of storage. waste. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's kind. Of, we know what you know. We things made can that. do to groundwater. You that know, that was a place that was natural, and we made it a giant pit. Pit, yeah. Or I mean, worse even. It's toxic pit. Yeah, poisonous. 
See, mound. and these things, and I think, Martha, where were you? Like, I'll watch something in the 70s when I was in my 20s, but I was just starting my career. I wasn't having kids at that point, but I was, you know, I was married. And I, and I think when I watch a movie, like, where were you? What, what, were, what were you doing? You didn't even know that occurred? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's like new on a documentary to me. So I excuse and understand when people aren't as like adamant as I am or get as excited as I do about something. There's a lot of things demanding our attention. Yes. And most of them are more fun than climate change. Yes, yes, yes. That's the hardest thing. It takes a toll to understand the high probability of your imminent demise. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how healthy that is. And I may not die from it, but your grandchildren are going to be wondering where all those species, you know, when they give you the... the, That's the prod that's going to get people. Well, and they, my brother, the scientist, I think he just feels it's more natural evolution. And what what's going to go is going to go. Okay, Martha, just get a life. It's going to go. And something else, you know, because adaptive, structural, and behavioral in our natural world, things will adapt yeah, or things will die. And the new things will come up. Unless all yeah, life dies. Well, yeah. Well, if, you know who's going to go first? You and I. Yeah, it's we not won't the, be there. The insects are going to love the every moment. The mushrooms will be fine. They'll be, I worry about the, the phytoplankton. People want to embrace the, you know, the J-pod or the orcas. and uh-huh. me, me too. But I'm more into algae and phytoplankton. because it's the base of our well, food chain? It's the base. And that's what I tell the kids in EE. I said, yeah, it's hard to go hug that sometimes or a microscopic diatome or something like that. But- that's where it's all at, kids, because yeah. we're all grass eaters, because we eat grass eaters, even if you don't think you eat much grass. You it's know, pretty so. similar on land or in water. Yeah. 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 Hey, have you seen those uh, tardigrade, the water bears? No. Oh, they're adorable. You should look them up if you get a chance. Say it again. Tardigrade. It's a little tardigrade. microscopic creature um, that is like indestructible. They're amazing. You can freeze them. They can, you can freeze them for years and then unfreeze them and they come back to life. They're really cool. Pyrogenics or whatever. They yeah, are. they're neat. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty sure they do research on those to try to figure out human longevity, like lengthen those telomeres. That They've done some pretty incredible stuff in that area in the last few years. You um, have vocabulary I don't use. Telomeres? I, yeah, just all that. I, that's, that's why kids... That's why I believe in open education. Do you know what I mean? Yes, it's good to specialize, you know, and you get so much of that. But it is good to get all of that well-roundedness. Yeah, I recently read this book called Range. Uh, I forget the author, but that was the whole premise of the book was based on that. Um, Well, so first there was this book a few years back called Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell. I read that. Part of that, sorry, but I did read a lot of it. Fantastic book, but it was it Mm -hmm. like... The premise was that you have to put in 10,000 hours to become an expert in, in anything. And whether it's, you know, violin or hockey, 10,000 hours is like the golden number. And then uh, people really took it and ran with it. And it, it's true. So, like, you can, there, the evidence is there. You can look back through history and, and trace these people who are great at whatever they did, whether it be Mozart or Tiger Woods. They started early and they put in their 10,000 hours to become a, an expert by the time they were an adult. And in this new kind of paradigm, it completely turns that idea on its head and it, it presents the idea that it's actually range that is more beneficial in the long run. And that people who are early adopters to change or people who are real flexible, 
um, end up being more successful in the long run. And, and you can even take those same examples uh, of successful people from the first ana- like analysis and look deeper into their lives and see that they probably were actually focusing on other things too. And that contributed to their mastery of their specific sport or whatever. What do you mean by flexible in your in your reference point here? Willingness to adapt to change uh, out of okay, necessity. Okay, adaptability. Okay. Yeah, adaptability and just when something happens that you weren't expecting, to just look at the situation and be like, "All right, well, this is now the situation. How do how do we move forward?" Instead of being like, so you would survive where the other person would panic and die or something, or would yes. or, or could yeah. grit. Grit is another way I, I think of it. People who have grit and are like you just do what you got to do to get by. You develop a lot of skills. I'm, I was just thinking of myself when you were talking about that because I don't see myself as flexible at all. I can be very, very rigid, and when I get a plan, but I think there's different. That's why I was wondering about the flexibility part of it because my brain moves really fast, and that's why I jump all around when I talk, and then I lose my train of thought because I'm thinking ahead when I'm also in the middle of the now. I did that in teaching a lot, and you know, it's like, oh, okay, got to come back. Where was I? You know, because mm-hmm. I was already you get thinking too far ahead. ahead. Yeah, but when I make a plan, and I'm going here, and I love to plan, I'm planner supreme. I have a hard time if I come to something and they say, "Well, we'll give you blah blah." Go ahead, and I said, or, or if you get it, and I, mm, I won't even take the good offer or whatever. And I'm no, I'm I'm supposed to, but yeah, it's not in my plan. I'm not, I'm not doing, and. I've been called on that, rightly so, by people I travel with or people that, that know me well. And I thought, Martha, you got to kind of give that up. Sometimes you're missing the boat because you just got to fulfill your plan. I don't know about that. Well, it depends, though. That's what I mean. You have to do, do it when it's good, you know, And but the other times you have to be able to do it. Because my son, the coolest thing about having one biological kid, if not more, but I only ended up having one... I realized so many traits that I have that I never had defined because Jordan has them. Oh, yeah. So you know it was you. So I know what OCD is because Jordan so has it. And then I reflected on me and I thought, oh, gee whiz, you know, (laughs) I know where he got that from. But I never, ever termed myself that kind of person. Yeah, until you saw it reflected. Yes, exactly. So that's the most fun thing for me about biological stuff is is to see that. Well, you will. I'm going through the same. Oh my god! But she is who she is, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. But as she gets older, you will see some things, and you just go, "Oh my goodness, that's her mother," or "Oh my goodness." And my son will actually, Jordan will actually say that. Oh, that's why I'm like that. That's dad, or that's why I do that. That's mom, you know. And then, of course, there's just him in the mix. Uh-huh. So it is fun to see that. Well, the crazy thing is when I see myself in one of my stepkids. Oh gosh, like, uh, just because I, nature, I can't escape that. That's definitely me. It's always behavioral, <laughs> um, other than the fact that Sawyer caught my hairstyle. <laughs> I, he took it. He took yours. Yeah. He. Yeah. He. he uh, well, his hair was normal before, but now he has a cowlick <laughs> ever since I moved in. <laughs> Has, That's good. I like it. I, uh, he's your kids. I don't, I've never seen Amelia in person, but Sawyer and Elsa. Mm-hmm. Is it Elsa? Yeah, I've seen them because of Ocean Park School because oh, they were yeah, running yeah, yeah. around there, and I really enjoyed watching. And then I saw Sawyer just nanoseconds in the fourth grade, so that was fun. And Elsa's just she's the runner. Is she still she the runner? Is, she is. She loves to run. She's fast too. She she's, had a growth spurt this year, so she's gotten quite a bit taller. 
Um, so I'm, I'm excited for when her track or cross country gets going again. I should probably look into that. Well, I kind of um, know those th- that data because Joe Williams oh, was coaching so. when Jordan and and John Hayes and that whole group was in uh, in the fourth grade, and he was timing the kids on um, their miles. And in fourth grade, a good time. Of course, things get better. I mean, not to say Jordan or John were the the best of the best, and they were at the time. Th- at their time, they they were some of the best, and they could do six and six and a half minute miles. That's probably six. where around Elsa is then. But still, she's a girl. Which She's faster than the boys yes. a lot of the time. Which they can be up to she a certain stage. She got a growth spurt, spurt earlier. Jordan still, he does, he might do a 100-mile thing this day, and he does, he's done a 55, and he does trail marathons. He doesn't oh, do, cool. yeah, because he really, it's mountains, he's Colorado, and uh, he doesn't, the speed isn't where it's at, it's mm-hmm. it's the experience. Uh-huh. So, you know, he trains because he has to have the elevation gain and down and everything, but, and uh, he and his wife also did a, a hike, a solid hike on the Colorado Trail for six weeks. Oh, wow. Wow, with their dog. That's crazy. That's Two one of my ago. bucket list things. Not that trail specifically, but just a long exactly. hike. Exactly. And they uh, and then he blogged it a little bit. And he's cool. a good writer too. I always thought Jordan could be a yeah, writer. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. He was in journalism. With so me. He, he's kind of a well-rounded kind of dude too. You know, mm-hmm. he's not like the star of the thing in any capacity, but he's so well-rounded that he can fit in a lot of places. So Jordan always struck me as the type of guy who probably is the star of the thing, but he didn't try to be. I think he he gets put in leadership roles because he leads by example, not by word. He, That's mom, what I mean. His mom's the talker, and and Jordan. It's not that the mom's not the doer, but you know he's just quieter about that. He doesn't mm-hmm. have to be professing things. He he gets it done much cleaner than I do. I'm. He lets the results <gasps> speak for themselves. Yes, yes. Yeah. So he's he's been interesting to watch grow up. He's a. Sometimes I think he's the adult in the room. <laughs> Yeah, he's 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 an old soul. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. He's um, his co- um, coach Blair, his uh, basketball coach, said it's probably the nicest thing he could have said to a kid's mom. He said, "You know what, Martha? Jordan got the best of you and Joe, because Joe and nice I are very different, but we both have our strengths, of course." And I thought, you know what? What a nice thing if a kid does get the best of both his parents or her parents i thought wow because you don't want them to get the other side which of course they get of course they get. yeah it tends to get the, the best and the worst yeah. seems like mm-hmm. <laughs> um so what does jordan do for a living <laughs> good question jordan is like all millennials he's had several careers <laughs> but not formally trained he he went into um uh, gonzaga and he was in sports administration I think that was the last time I I heard about. And it. his goal was to be a Division One, ED. Yeah, at a at a college. So be in the college and do college sports. Mm-hmm. And so then he got his master's up in um, Northern Colorado, up in Greeley, and he went into sports um, administration. It's still, and he was doing facilities and uh, events up there, and he really liked it. Talk about being working every day, all day, because it, it covered everything from the money part of it to the advertising part of it to actually being at the event and being there. So it was a busy job. He didn't get the full-time position there. He came down to Colorado State University, and he worked in their recreation department. He really liked that. That was an interim position, and so they hired out, and he didn't get the full-time there. Bummer. So Jordan, who got most of the things he wanted, and he worked hard for him. It wasn't like, here, Jordan, here, Jordan. All of a sudden, in his early career, 
wasn't getting that next level. Okay, so then he went into a nonprofit for the Water Alliance Heritage. So that was all administrative and training volunteers and going out and hiking. And he loved all of that. And then he had trouble with his boss. And I I don't know whether Jordan has trouble with the authority figures, but for whatever reason, he quit during COVID. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay, Jordan. So Mama Bear here was thinking, maybe not such a good thing to do, right? But he got his second interview and he's with now he's with Natural Resources in Larimer County. So he gets and he always learns the lay of the land. Hence, he could do the six week hike. He loves maps. He loves going out. He loves recreation. He knows the area. He knows the watersheds. He's a good tour guide. He can do all the administrative management kind of stuff. So he's kind of that on the end of still administration, but not in the sports world anymore. Uh But they ski and hike and backpack and she's a triathlete and now they're climbing. So Wow. Sounds like a good life. Here was my not outdoor boy, my sporty boy. Sporty and outdoor is pretty compatible. But not really. You know, he was the hunter, the fisherman, yeah. you know, and doing that. We didn't backpack. Joe and I were older when he was little, and we weren't getting out. We would hike and run, of course, a little mm-hmm. bit. Joe but, would drive his van. Yeah, that's right. See, Joe didn't run and hike. <laughs> but Jordan fell in love with the mountains. Not the, He's not a water boy. So mm-hmm. I think the mountains just, and he can't get enough of it. When the wildfires were there this summer... I think he almost cried because this was not in his backyard, literally. I bet where, he did cry. Oh, I bet she did. I mean, it was terrifying. And 525,000 acres of land burned in just little old Colorado. Yeah, crazy. Horrible. I'm sure California is much, much more. I was going to look that up when I saw that data. The whole West Coast was bad. Um, yep, um, yep. The, that's something that, okay, how do we argue with that? Like, that's definitely human problem because it's you know burning down our homes um i to tie it back in with climate change well and because we've kind of infiltrated where we shouldn't be living okay exactly and forest fires are a natural part of a forest yeah but they happen every couple years yeah so if we go 20 30 years without any forest fires and just let all that stuff accumulate and then the drought and then, yeah, there's and a drought. The palm, and then the insect and the beetles things. And, you and know, then the aphids. It, so you put that, it's the perfect storm. So yeah. bye-bye people. And I feel bad for the people, but generally speaking, people can get out of there. I mean, I, I don't mean to sound horrible. No, no. But I, I feel sadder for the habitats. Well, I, that's, it's like its own organism. It's yeah, a whole nother you thing. You really killed that whole thing. Yeah. It's gone. Not you, but not no, we, the you of the world. We, the collective we, yeah, killed it. and that's what I feel. I feel like we're responsible. I do feel that I am responsible for other people's health care. It's not fair that I can afford my health care and other people can't. So I feel the same way with the habitat. I feel that it, it is part of who I am and who we are. And if we all, and that's why I've gravitated more towards Native American, and they've become a bigger things in the last couple of years. They, they should have been forever. But I really think we can learn so much from from them and how they deal with habitats and life and the sanctity of the environment. It's I like to put myself back in a just uh, while I'm walking around the woods or in a natural environment, back in the mindset of like a, a settler. Like Ooh. think of if you're walking around in this place having just seen it for the first time, you would definitely care a lot more about building a house than you would about protecting the forest. You'd cut down some trees. Like you would you would yeah, do these things. It's true. it's rational to make these choices. You don't see that these small choices, one tree, 
multiplied over, you know, decades and decades and over generations and generations, they accumulate in cause some pretty horrifying effects. And I know in the smaller world that people, you can talk, I can talk, and people will go along with us because they respect us or they know we know what we're talking about so we can be convincing to a certain amount of people or what we're saying they have seen happen. So we have that credibility. But you know, people listen to who they listen to and who they give credibility. And I, I know if their values and beliefs are different than mine, we can have a conversation, but I don't know how we can come together on, on certain things if they believe a certain way, you know. And I believe the opposite because of my what I value or what I believe is true. So I, I know that it is it is so hard, but you're right. When it comes down to dying or living we want to live and we want to we want to thrive yeah not just live because for us that have more we don't have to worry about the basics i've got that covered so i can travel we didn't get to talk about my travels we'll do it again sometime if you got the time Uh, i'll listen oh no for another time because that's that's a wonderful journey and i didn't do my travels to be a climate person or to find out about that i did it because i wanted to put my feet on the ground and really see the world you're a student of the world yeah and and i see because i don't have to worry about the basics i'm very blessed my life is very good with that i can go on some very amazing trips and i do it with a group because it's a learning experience that way for me because I'm with around some more experts and also I'm with somebody. You'll remember it better yeah, too. Yeah, and I don't want to travel that alone. I mm-hmm. uh, I live alone, so when I travel, I don't want to travel alone. Yeah, traveling alone is not that much fun. No, it's even, a little bit goes a long way. Yeah, even when you're doing something that would be really fun if you had someone to remember it with, mm-hmm. it's almost like it's not as the meaning. It's not yeah. embedded with meaning when you're by yourself. And who are you going to talk to? Like these two trips I took, who can? I made books for myself. Does anybody want to see them? Not particularly. <laughs> and, you know, it's like the people showing their, their the slideshow um, slide <laughs> of their vacation. You know, it's the same. You want to see my book on Australia or Galapagos? You know, so those are the two big trips I took that mm-hmm. were just. Oh, the Galapagos. Um, I would love to hear about that. You ha- yes, we will talk because that's come a, back. that is a whole. And I wouldn't mind. I made a little PowerPoint of that. And I certainly could embellish it because it took a lot of pictures that I showed to a group of friends um, last year. Uh, they asked me to. <laughs> I didn't bring it to their, their soiree and say. Guess what? But yeah, I would do that. I mean, you know, and That'd talk be about great. it because it's. There's probably a lot of uh, amazing noticeable. Amazing place. You yeah, I want to go live there. It just looks super healthy. That's awesome. And it's the weirdest thing. They have 12 hour days always, and it's always a little cool in the morning and then up to seven degrees at night. That's that exactly it. It's weird, though. It's weird. Very reliable, though. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very reliable. It's really close to the equator, right? Yes, it is. And the water's cold. Uh, that blew me away because we were snorkeling, none of us scuba. And so I thought, eh, I just need a half a suit. I run cold anyway. I was, I almost got hypothermia. Really? I could tell. I've never had hypothermia, but when I got myself out into the boat, into the little Zodiac, and other people were still snorkeling, I I couldn't stop shivering. And I thought I was like hallucinating too. I mean, really, uh-huh. I think I was really this close it to. It doesn't take much. Nope. I've been snorkeling one time in Hawaii. It's really fun. Oh, I, I couldn't fun. believe how much I, I enjoyed that. 
I got. Uh, I'm not a water guy. Oh, okay. Uh, like Jordan. I, I, yes, exactly. That's what I was gonna say when you said that. It's like, oh, finally another one. He doesn't snorkel real easily. He does it like a little because he has to because he's in the group mm-hmm. and they're in Hawaii. You know, yeah. Or Greece. You know, and his wife's the water girl. It's like, okay, I let her just take pictures. She can show it to you. Yeah. But um, yeah, I wish. But I'm afraid to snor- uh, to scuba and my family members scuba. I'd like to try that. Oh, I'm always afraid I'll hiccup and die. Yeah. Is yeah, it, does, that, does that happen? I don't know. I just figured you're 30 don't feet risk done. It. Yeah. <laughs> and yet I've watched, you know, wonderful things like the octopus teacher. Oh, the octopus teacher. Talk about emotional. And Sylvia Earle, who does uh, Mission Blue. Uh-huh. She's 80 and she's still diving. She does hope spots to reclaim and restore underwater situations around the oh, world. Wow. So she's like one of my heroes. I thought that's what I would do when I retired. I thought I would really get into the ocean end of everything. Literally? Well, well <laughs> yeah, if I could, if Sylvia would take me. She interviewed the guy from Octopus Teacher. I want to know how he holds his breath for five, five, ten minutes. That's yeah, crazy. Pretty amazing, huh? Insane. Pretty I mean, amazing. David Blaine did like 20 minutes, but. Plus, he's in colder water. Uh-huh. That's what I couldn't understand. The the breath holding and how cold that was. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, I'd be dead. I mean, I couldn't do that. I would freeze. There would be absolutely no way. Yeah, I think it's got to be practice, practice, practice. But yeah, well, that's it, that 10,000 hour thing. Yeah. And he got good at it. And then your body does get used to things. Oh, so yeah. Well, we get I take a cold shower every day. Ooh. Um, On purpose? Yeah. Uh, I finish my shower every day with like two minutes of cold. Ooh. Uh, you I feel you feel fantastic. Yes, you're invigorated. After, I understand. Closes your pores and yes, it does. It, it, I mean, it sends your body into fight or flight mode briefly, and then but then once you calm back down from that, you're like, oh, everything's great. It's just a it's like provides some contrast. Um, but, I used to do that. They used to say it was good and it was good for your hair, and so I thought, okay, mm-hmm. I'll do it for my hair if nothing else. But oh, also it makes my hair so shiny. Yes, that's exactly. what they say. Well, Martha, my dear, we've done it. Am we've I done two hours. Thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. Oh, <clears throat> more than a pleasure. Thank you so much. And I Make sure you love, edit. Uh, we love uh, that. <laughs> I will. You were a pro. And I look forward to you coming back next time. Tell us all about the Galapagos Islands. I will if you want me to because that is a place that everybody should go see. It is the most amazing place I have been so far. It's the birthplace of the theory of evolution. It is. Okay, everybody. I'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.